When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. This uh, is normally what we do on Fridays. It's our predictions podcast. So we make a bunch of prop bets for the Browns and we talk all about Case Keenum, the guys who could be out, all that stuff to get you ready for Thursday night's game against the Broncos. It's Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Murray, Scott Patsko, and me making the predictions. And at the very end, we make our game predictions for Thursday night's game. Now, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber yet, I don't know what you're waiting for because you get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers. And by the way, pregame, I do a little chat with our text subscribers. We text out updates, thoughts during the game. There's a lot of reasons to get involved, especially on a game day. So go to cleveland.com slash browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get information and get signed up. Okay, let's do this. Our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, The Predictions Pod. And here we go. We're making our predictions for Thursday night's Browns-Broncos game. Let's get right to it. Mary Kay, get us started. In terms of predictions for this game, uh, I think I'm going to predict that that Odell Beckham Jr. plays in the game. And I think, uh, I think that's an important uh, distinction to make in this game because if, if poor Case Keenum doesn't have – his top two receivers, his top two running backs, and his top two tackles, uh, it's going to be a long evening for him. So one of my first predictions is going to be uh, that, that Odell's going to play in this game, and I think that Case is then going to throw uh, – I think he's going to develop a little bit more rhythm and timing with Odell and Austin Hooper than Baker has had so far this season. So I'm going to say – Five receptions by Odell Beckham Jr. and four by Austin Hooper. And part of the prediction is that Odell's going to play. Okay, so that's that's kind of the the whole part of this. Is like, I mean, let's just look at all the guys that are questionable. Uh, like we know Nick Chubb's out. We know Baker Mayfield's out. Um, AJ Green, the other player that's out, but he's obviously not an offense. So Beckham is questionable. Clowney and Conklin are questionable. Uh, I'm just doing offensive players here. And then J.C. Treader is also questionable. Jedrick Wills uh, as well. So J.C. Treader, though, probably going to play. He's he's always questionable. Yeah. He never practices. He'll play. Uh, but those tackles are are iffy. So Doug, when, when I guess when you look at this, the good news with those tackles is they were estimated to be limited today, which is an upgrade from did not practice on their estimation Monday and then the actual practice on Tuesday. Doug, when you kind of hear that and you're thinking, obviously, if you're getting five receptions to Beckham, four for Hooper, that's a pretty big-ish day for Case Keenum. Does that happen if both tackles aren't playing? Well, I th- aren't they? They're gonna. He's probably gonna get the ball out of his hands pretty quickly anyway, right? Whether the starting tackles are playing or not. And by the way, just people listening, like. You didn't mention Hunt or Landry because they're not on the injury right. report because like Hunt's not playing. Do we think Landry has any chance to play or no? They have till 4 p.m. on Thursday to activate him. 
but he, they'd be doing it off two practices, which is sort of why you're just not sure. Okay. So I guess my question is, actually, my, can my answer be another question for Mary Kay? <laughs> sure. What, yes. what, what, why do you think that Case Keenum would have a better connection with Austin Hooper and Odell Beckham Jr. than Baker has? Is it because he just would take throws that are there? I do think that's been an issue with Baker sometimes. Guys look open and he doesn't make that initial throw. I'm not sure why. Would he not force it and it would just come naturally? What is it about Baker not playing that you think increases the workload of Beckham and Hooper? I think it's in part just because he really just hasn't had, Baker just hasn't really been able to develop it with those two guys yet. It just hasn't come naturally uh, to him with them. Although I thought it looked a lot better with Odell in this past game and, and Odell graded out very well. He was the number two graded receiver in the NFL by pro football focus at over 90. I think it was like 90.9. So they did show some promise there, uh, but I just think it's just going to be a little bit more natural uh, with Case and those guys. It cannot get any worse uh, than it's been with Austin Hooper. I mean, my goodness, he has 12 receptions so far this season. Uh, in, in the previous couple of games, I don't have it in front of me, but I mean, his, you know, his receptions versus targets, I mean, it just, it's, it has not been good. Uh, he hasn't actually been getting a lot of targets lately, but it was one for five in one of the games. So I just think it's going to be better. They wanted to get him more involved this year. If you guys recall, uh, during the offseason, I mean, during preseason, Kevin Stefanski said that Austin Hooper's role was going to grow. They felt they didn't get him the ball enough last year. Right now, he's on pace for, um, for I think, what, 34? He's on pace for 34 catches um, or something like that, right? Um, and th that's, just, that's just not going to cut it. So I think that the case will find him a little bit easier than Baker did for whatever reason. Um, and I think, I think the same thing with Odell. I, I don't know. I think that there's just a little bit of a disconnect still between Baker and those two players. And some of it this year has been because Baker is not himself. Let's be honest. Now he hasn't been himself since this injury happened, whether it's the harness, whether it's anything else, he has not been the Baker Mayfield anybody expected since he tore at the labor. So I, I guess if that, if, if the offense is designed, I guess I would buy the idea potentially of case Keenum's just going to take what the offense tells him to take, right? This is the play. This is the read, make the throw and that's it. And that maybe Baker almost like as the starter, he knows the offense so well, while well, he turns that down because he thinks he wants to do this or there's more to it almost like, that case could, I just don't, I mean, it's not like case could have a better connection with a guy that he's never thrown to because he doesn't take first team reps. It's just that he might have a better connection to the natural flow of the offense. And if Odell's the first read and Odell is open, he just throws it and that's it. And I do think it looks like there are times where Odell is open, Odell's the first read, and Baker doesn't throw it. And, and I don't know that any of us know the answer to that question. So, if it's almost just because really in this situation, Case Keenum, and this might be fascinating for the Kevin Stefanski offense, Case Keenum is just quarterback X. He's just quarterback replacement level quarterback here. So we're going to find out what a replacement level quarterback in the Kevin Stefanski offense does. He's not gunslinger Baker Mayfield. He's not whatever. He's not trying to make a play. He's not trying to 
earn a contract. He's not doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. He may as well be a robot. So what would a robot quarterback do in the Kevin Stefanski offense? We'll get a read on that. And I don't, I'm not saying it'll be better or worse. It'll just be almost like an assembly line of how I think it's, it's supposed to work. And I am curious about that. And if that means, well, the way it's supposed to work is Odell should get this many targets and Hooper should get this many targets. Then maybe Mary Kay, you're like right on with this in the way you're seeing it. So I, I think we, before we continue here, I, and Doug, I, you kind of started doing this. Scott, I'm curious what you think. What do we ex- What are the expectations for Case Keenum on Thursday night? You know, Doug, Doug says he's a robot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and not like a cyborg, like <laughs> mean robot like Ben Roethlisberger, because Ben Roethlisberger is only partly robot. He's part man, part robot arm. So he's a cyborg. This is just more like a friendly robot, like C-3PO. C-3PO was the Browns quarterback. I mean, the, the expectations are to come out and look competent and like look like you understand the offense and you know what you're doing. Look like the veteran who's been around for, what, six, seven teams uh, and has played uh, in an offense, uh, you know, with not run by Kevin Stefanski, but, you know, been part of that before. That's what you expect from Case Keenum. Uh, but, man, if he comes out and everything looks smooth and Odell's getting a lot of targets and Hooper's getting a lot – that that might be the worst case scenario for the Browns because then, because then you just open a whole can of worms that Browns fans know all too well. And you're back in that situation where the backup's the most popular guy on the team. It would be horrible. And, would, and they might win the game. That's good, but it would be horrible long-term. But you, but you know, we, we know what's going to happen. If that happens, everybody's going to listen to the post game orange and Brown talk podcast. And we're going to guide them through those initial feelings because the idea again i can't you can't live in a world where you're afraid of your backup quarterback playing well because what should happen in the scott patsco c-3po saves the day scenario is that baker mayfield watches that and thinks you know what i might be making this too hard if he can take those throws i can take those throws what am i doing Right. Let let Baker learn from Case Keenum's success. I don't. Scott, what are you doing to people? We are setting up a scenario where the backup quarterback does his job. The Browns, the most injured team in the league, wins in prime time on a short week. And you're telling people it would be horrible. It would, because, look, it's not. It's timing, right? If this I know. Baker's out because of injury. But if this happened last year when Baker was tearing it up and say he got knocked out and he had to, or knocked out of a game, he had to like miss a game and Keenum came in and played well, it wouldn't be that big of a deal because Baker was playing really well. This season, it's been kind of up and down. Um, it hasn't been so smooth to start off. And that makes a difference. So if Case Keenum comes out and looks really good and has great chemistry, with guys that Baker not, hasn't necessarily had great chemistry with. I, I could just see it. I could, I could, I could hear the conversations and I can, I could see the comments on social media. It's, it's not a good place to be. You know, I'm making I think- it my only goal in life after the game to stop all of that from happening. So if that's what happens, <laughs> tune in Thursday night. Okay. Tune in Thursday night. Anyway, go ahead, Mary Kay. 
I was going to say, yeah, you know, I think that uh, a lot of factors went into this decision to rest Baker Mayfield in this game, in this game. And I think one of the big factors was that he probably, you know, he might not have his two tackles and we know he's not going to have his two running backs. And we know that he might not have his two best receivers. So I actually think uh, they sort of set up a situation where, Baker could have gotten hurt and looked really, really bad in this game. And conversely, uh, there is a chance that Case Keenum might not be able to look like Tom Brady in this game because of all of those things. It's not set up for a backup quarterback. It's not ideal uh, for a backup quarterback to come in and have to play under these adverse conditions. If he does, uh, you know, then then that is going to open up a little bit of a, a can of worms. But it's sort of set up for, you know, maybe a decent game, but not, you know, a world beating game by case. I, I, I mean, I do think we have to remember, we are talking about Case Keenum here. He's capable of coming in and, and playing well for a game, but I don't think that bar is necessarily like 350 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, if you get competent offensive play, 200 yards, a couple touchdown passes, that's a good Case Keenum game. But that's, that's kind of where my expectations are. It's, it's, you know, nothing against the guy, but it's, it's Case Keenum. I, I will say this. Are any of you concerned that this might not be the only game Case Keenum starts? Or are we just focused on this game and we'll just kind of see how next week plays out? Because Case Keenum starting this game is fine. I think that, you know, spoiler alert, I'm still picking the Browns to win this game. Case Keenum has to start three or four games or five games. I don't think it would be that many, but if he has to start, multiple games for this team, I, I'd be a little concerned. Are, are any of you concerned about that? Or do you just want to see how things play out heading into that Halloween game? I don't think this is going to be the last game that Case Keenum starts this season. I don't know that it, he'll start consecutive games, but I think the shoulder is such that it another hit or two somewhere along the line, and there's a lot of football left, could knock Baker out again uh, with the same situation. Now, he wouldn't have uh, quite the tight turnaround that he has this week, which is a major reason why he's not playing. There's so much swelling in the shoulder, as I wrote in one of my uh, stories today. There's still so much swelling in the shoulder that he wasn't able to get, you know, the harness hurts, the pads would have hurt. He didn't have time to get all that down. It takes a while to get that trauma out of the shoulder. Uh, so unless it's pretty bad going forward, he probably will, you know, he should be able to start most of the games, but there could be a time where uh, he takes another one of these hits and the shoulder doesn't want to stay in where it's supposed to. I think, I think that we'll see case for at least one more game somewhere along the line this season. I could live with that. I mean, th this is the stretch for this to happen, right? Cause they're not playing world beaters here over the next handful of weeks. They have time to, to deal with this right now. There's a lot more margin for error with their upcoming schedule for sure. I mean, if, if, if people don't believe that the shoulder can be fixed this year, then the shoulder has to be managed this year. And manage, I think, is the right word. Load management is what we see now in the NBA. I think we might be in the load management era of Baker Mayfield for the rest of this year. And at Mary, your point, Mary Kay, you take a hit, you, you land on it, you get sacked and you land on it a certain way. And then maybe that you can't play the next week. But I'm not so sure there's not a, you know what, like he's played three in a row. He's fighting through it. 
maybe you think you can win a game without him, right? Like you've got to, and you, you need him when you need him most. And the schedule does set up kind of in an interesting way, the rest of the, the, the way that there are going to be some winnable games out there and you've got to save Luke Skywalker for the lightsaber fight with Darth Vader because C-3PO can't fight Darth Vader, but C-3PO might be able to handle some of the stuff in between some of the filler scenes. So that let Case Keenum do those. And then when you need Baker, you put on the white tunic and the belt and you go fight your dad. So like, that's, I think that's how we have to see this. Cause I think a, a robot can win you a game on a Thursday night. You can't, you can't win the Super Bowl with a robot. You need Luke Skywalker. So Luke Skywalker, didn't he get his arm cut off? He got he got something cut off yeah, in one of the movies. That, right? His hand. <laughs> he got his, his hand, hand cut off. He, they cut off his hand. But they didn't say, that's it. You're out for the year. C-3PO is doing all the fights. That's where we are. You've got to manage Baker through the year. Understand you're going to need Case, Case Keenum along the way and hope that Baker's there for the big moments. Because Case Keenum can get you so far. But that's why I like the thing about Thursday night. You can't win the Super Bowl on Thursday night. A backup quarterback can win the game, but you need Baker Mayfield to get as far as this team can go. Yeah, but Luke Skywalker got a robot hand, right? So does Baker need a robot shoulder? Well, then Ben Roethlisberger has a robot elbow. So, I mean, that I would investigate. A robot body part, just not a full robot in the game. (laughs) Okay, so Mary Kay's prediction was five catches for Odell Beckham, four for Austin Hooper. Um, You guys taking both of those? I, I, I will because the Hooper thing plays into to what I'm going to talk about. So I'm going to say, yeah, honest Hooper. That, that seems a little high for me. So I think maybe not quite, but, I, but I, I agree with the idea that Mary Kay is espousing here of like, if those are the guys you want to target and the op- offense operates that way. And, and like if Odell is playing and Case Keenum is the quarterback, I'm sure he's thinking 13 a lot. Um, but... <laughs> I don't, I don't think both of those things will happen. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say no. Which one would you say won't happen? I think five is kind of a lot for Odell, honestly. Um, I could see Hooper getting four. Uh, it sounds like Scott's going to talk about tight end, so I don't want to get too, in, too into the tight end mm-hmm. weeds here. Uh, but I, I could see Hooper getting four. Um, I'm not sure if Odell, I mean, Odell could have a big, Odell could have like three for like 77 or something. Mm-hmm. I, I could see a game like that. Uh, but I, I think I'll take the the Hooper four and not the Odell five. Fair enough. So Scott, what have you got? All right. So <clears throat> obviously the Browns offense has issues. No Baker, no Chubb, no Hunt. Maybe no Odell. We just don't know. Um, uh, so this is based on an over under with kind of that as the backdrop. I think the Browns use their tight ends in this game, maybe more than they have all season. And they already use them more than anybody else in the league, 13 personnel. So the over under on combined targets for Hooper, Njoku and Harrison Bryant, I'm going to put it at 16 and a half. I, I, I think this is a game where they really lean into the tight ends because they really have to take advantage of their matchup opportunities out on the field without their best running backs. They really need to have tight ends out there because they're probably going to have blocking issues and the ends of those lines, at least one of them. Uh, and they're all, you know, good pass catchers, obviously. So uh, they, their high of the season was 12 and that was against the Texans when Baker got hurt. 
Uh, they did have 10 targets total in week one. Since then, they have not gotten back into double digits um, at all. And they're coming off a game and they use 30, 13 personnel, like I think less than they had all season. But I think it turns around. The Broncos have not really they, – they've seen three plays with three tight ends on the field this season, according to Sharp Football, and I was looking that up earlier. So I think they're going to see a ton more against the Browns, and I think I like the over-under. I'm going to go over. I think there's more than 60.5 targets for those three tight ends combined. I think it's just going to be a, just a smorgasbord of, of tight end play for the so Browns. They have 48 in the first six games. So their average is eight. So you're going more than double the average. So can I, I think you lead can I ask, that. can I ask this question about, I mean, is it fair to say that the Browns tight ends have been disappointing this year, considering how much they use that 13 personnel? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's yeah. one tight end that is really like, I mean, a joke had a big game against the Chargers, but there hasn't been like, n- nothing has stood out about this group considering mm-hmm. the, well, those receivers, yeah, I mean, that's, they that's haven't been consistent as receivers, but obviously there's a ton of worth having them on the field to block and to create, you know, matchups that might work, you know, might get somebody else in an advantageous position too. So I, I would have to say that, that Hooper has been one of the uh, bigger disappointments and it has flown under the radar because we have been more focused on the disconnect between Baker and Odell, but equally as concerning, I think, is the sort of disconnect between Baker and Hooper. Um, Knowing that they wanted to grow his role this year, knowing that, I mean, they actually uh, had discussions, you know, with him in the off season and told him, we didn't get you the ball enough last year. Uh, You know, we all know the numbers that he put up in Atlanta. So, Again, he's, he's on pace for, I think it's 34 catches, if I did the math right on that. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. But, um, but anyways, so, yeah, I think that, um, that he, uh, you know, that, that's been something that I keep wanting to explore a little bit more uh, as we go along here and what's going on with those guys, because he has turned into a little bit more of a blocker. Uh, and in terms of targets, in the last game, did he even get a target in the last game? I don't even know if he got a target. I don't believe he did, no. I mean, Or maybe it was the Chargers game he didn't have a target, one of those. Yeah, there was a game where he didn't even get a target. I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right here. He's supposed to be the number one tight end. He's supposed to be getting the ball more, and for whatever reason, it's not working. Now, having said that, we need to qualify it with the fact that, once again, Baker may nobody's getting the ball the way that anybody thought they were going to be getting the ball. Right. right? I mean, Baker Mayfield is not, has not been himself. Uh, and I think, you know, we might learn some things in this game on Thursday night about how things have, were supposed to look and aren't looking because now we're finding out that he is a little bit more injured than, uh, than, than we were led to believe and certainly more injured now. So, um, so yeah, I think it's been, it's been rough on everybody, but that one in particular, I think has been, uh, something to look at, especially because of the 10 and a half million dollars that you're paying. him. So, so 2021 cap numbers, Austin Hooper has, is the highest in the league. This is according to over the cap. Um, David Njoku is one, two, three, four, five, sixth in the league. So 
I mean, to your to your point, Scott, yes, obviously they've embraced the role of blocking and doing the dirty work. But you can't be paying guys that much money and have them not getting the football. But yeah, like, but they're still – they're paying them because of what they value in a tight end. And I don't think – I think it was – you couldn't look at Austin Hooper and expect him to come in here and be a quote-unquote number one tight end and put up big-time numbers even – close to what he did in Atlanta. It just wasn't going to work in this offense. Like if you take the contract and put that out of your head, he's playing fine. He's playing better than he ever has as a blocker. And you've got three tight ends and catch the ball. And not every one of those guys is going to, you know, consistency is going to be a problem because you're going to have a different guy kind of stepping up each time because you have all of them on the field a lot. So I don't know. I know the money throws a wrench into things and that's how we think about Austin Hooper, but just as a tight end on this team and how Kevin Stefanski wants to use him, I think he's, he's had a bunch of value this year. They're the best run team in the league. They're averaging fewer than 20 receptions a game. Austin Hooper is fourth on the team in targets with 18. We also think that Odell's not getting the ball enough. Like we don't, they have a lot of good players. They don't throw the ball that much. The quarterback's been off. They're a run first team and they have three tight ends that they use. The tight ends have 28% of their receptions as a group this year. I don't know. Do we, do they need to be throwing the ball to the tight ends 40% of the time? Like, do you watch the game? I mean, I guess if he has no targets, that's weird. He's fourth on the team in targets. Now that's affected because Jarvis has been out. So Jarvis would be ahead of him too. If he was playing Odell has 27 in four games, Kareem hunt, 23, David and Joku 20, Austin Hooper 18, Rashard Higgins 17. So Kareem Hunt, we've said, is like the best player on the team this year because they're giving him the ball. He's running it. He's catching it. So I think maybe the only guy who is the guy who has gotten the ball enough, Hunt, I guess maybe Chubb, right? Probably Chubb. I don't know that anybody else has gotten the ball enough, but I don't know that it's a function of any individual players, kind of like the way the offense is working right now and the fact that they do have like seven guys they could throw the ball to. I don't know. I don't know. And listen, they paid Austin Hooper because they needed to make sure they had at least a tight end to trust when they got Kevin Stavansky here. They had to get one because at that point, they didn't know if they could trust David and Joku and they hadn't, they hadn't drafted Harrison Bryant yet. Now that you have three guys that you can trust. I mean, there's no way he's here at that number next year, but that's fine. You know, you paid him for a role and his role was beyond how many balls he caught. So, so this is more, this is more roster building discussion. I guess like you, you can't pay tight ends this much money if this is the role they're going to have, but they also sort of needed to pay Austin Hooper. Yeah. You know, they, they bet on David and Joko on that fifth year option. You know, they're, they're going to have to make decisions that position. If this is what the tight end production is going to look like moving forward. Um, but you guys obviously it seems aren't, aren't as disappointed by the tight end group as I am. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, what did you say, Scott? 16 and a half? Put it at 16 and a half because, like I said, I think they're going to be on the field a ton. I think because of the running back situation, those are the guys who they're really going to lean on, especially if you're also without Odell, especially if no matter how much experience Case Keenum has, he's still getting his first start in forever. Um, it just that's, that's how I see this game going. I'm under. I think I'm under two just because the number's so big, but I think they'll get a lot of targets. Yeah, it, it 
once again, it would be so helpful if we had a better handle on Jarvis and Odell, because I'm going under all day long if Jarvis and Odell are out on the field. Um, I'm still going to go under just because that number seems high to me. And that was just my first instinct was that seems high. I can see the wisdom in it, Scott, and I see where you're going with it. And if those guys, if Jarvis isn't out there, I, I, I could definitely see it happening. Uh, but my, my, my gut tells me under, so I'm going to stick with that. And I put it there because of that week two game when they did not have Odell and when Jarvis got hurt and uh, Baker got hurt and all of a sudden you're throwing to the tight ends almost every down. So and there was 12 targets that game. Yeah, I, I think I think you're on the right track with that prediction. I mean, that could be right. <laughs> it could be that many. <laughs> it's just I, I'm kind of like Mary Kay. That, that that number when you first said it, my instinct was uh, it seems high. So so I went under. But I think you're on the right track with the, the tight ends being very active on Thursday night. Go ahead, Mary Kay. You guys, in the last three games, uh, Austin Hooper has caught two passes, two of eight targets. And in the Chargers game, that was the game where he got zero targets. And that, that I mean, that does, it does amaze me a little bit that, you know, you're putting up 500 some yards of offense and you don't target your supposed number one tight end, even one time. Uh, so it just, it's just a little bizarre. Two catches over the last three football games from your number one tight end. And I think that that is a sign of the times. Something has been wrong with your quarterback. But the other tight end had 173 receiving yards against the Chargers. So what is one? Like, what does number I, one tight end mean in this offense? I mean, number one salary, but also, I mean, like there's a yeah. give and take. It's like how, and then Joku can't have a huge game. It falls. I mean, someone <laughs> goes down and someone goes up. Right. So, I mean, I think it's reasonable to like wonder when the big Austin Hooper game is going to come, but he might just be in a rut, but also, yes, the quarterback hasn't been himself. All right, Doug, what do you have for us? So I disagree sort of with the discussion so far because if they're, this is a backwards offensive team that we've talked about on Gotta Watch the Tape a little bit. Their run game is how they're explosive. Their pass game is a little bit more, that's how they move the ball sort of, right? But you kind of wait for Kareem to run like the Tasmanian Devil or for Nick to break off a big cutback. Without them, how are you going to be explosive? And I don't think they can just have 19 play drives against the Denver. I think they've got to try to be explosive somehow. So the idea that, hey, their running backs are out, let's just throw to the tight ends. I don't know, man. Like, does that scare defense? I like, so again, if Odell and Jarvis played, that's something different. So Scott's throwing out huge numbers. So I'm going to throw out a huge number. Demetric Felton has eight catches this year on nine targets. I say he has eight touches in this game. I think you can make part of the run game throwing to Demetric Felton. You don't have to line him up in the backfield, even though he's been a running back. I'm just telling you that Ernest Johnson is not going to get it done. We lived in that fantasy world for a game last year with Nick Chubb before everybody realized, oh, yeah, no, that's not it at all. Who can be explosive, especially if you don't have both Odell and Jarvis? You've got to try to get this defense to back off a little bit and I think screen swing passes, little stuff, reverses, jet sweeps, motion him into the backfield and give it to him a couple times. I think Demetric Felton might be your explosive answer because usually your explosive answer is Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. 
I think that's that's almost a bigger like right. That's a bigger deal for the offense than the quarterback not playing. How how can they be explosive without their these two guys? So I can imagine just a gigantic load for Felton. He has not run it. He's had nine targets in six games. He's caught eight of them. I'll say eight touches running and receiving on Thursday night. What about returns? Can, are you including returns? Doesn't, in doesn't it doesn't count. From scrimmage. From scrimmage. That doesn't count. Okay. Interesting. I mean, First that's a all, huge. Scott doubled his thing. I'm quad, I'm like quadrupling <laughs> it or more. You know what? First, first, I, I just want to give a little bit of pushback on the whole they're they run first and they're explosive with the with the running game on this Cleveland Browns football team. It was not supposed to be like that. That has been a matter of function, not what they intended to do. This was supposed to be a very explosive passing game. That's why you've got Baker Mayfield throwing going 0 for 11 uh, in two back-to-back games on passes of 20 yards or more, right? That's why you've got him 28th in the league right now with nine completions of 27 or nine of 27 of 20 plus for 33.3% because you're trying to go downfield and have an explosive passing game, but it is not working for you this year. And when it's not working for you this season, we're going to rely on what we do well. And one of the other reasons what we can do, one of the other reasons why that's happening this season is because they played some pretty bad run defenses. They've played, uh, you know, whatever, like 28th, 29th ranked run defenses in back-to-back weeks. So, you know, go with what you think is going to work. So I don't think they were supposed to be the explosive running game and the passing game is an afterthought this year, but by any stretch of the imagination, I think it's like Jarvis is gone. Odell came back late. Getting, just getting, getting heated up with Odell Baker injury. And there went the explosive passing game for now. Um, But having said that, uh, yeah, they're doing what they've got to do. And Demetri Felton is going to have to play a big role in this game. And um, eight seems a bit high to me. Mm. Um, but they just might have to do it. They, they might have to go that route. Uh, shoot, I'm still going to go under. That still feels a little high to me. He's averaging 1.3 per game. And I'm saying he'll get eight. So that's, that's a reasonable under. So I'm all in on this. Um, I, the one thing that teams have been really – uh, had a lot of success with against the Broncos is using 21 personnel. So when you got two running backs on the field, uh, teams have like a 76% success rate. Uh, that's only 29 plays this season, but still it like sticks out big time. When you look at all the different personnel groupings, the Broncos have faced. And I don't think that's necessarily Dernis Johnson and Demetric Felton in the backfield, but it's Demetric Felton splitting out wide into the slot. And then like, you know, Harrison Bryant moving into the backfield as a fullback, which we've seen a lot. It's he like does that more than anybody. Uh, and then, you know, you have options there. You have options with what you can do with Harrison Bryant. You have options with, uh, with Felton. You can move Bryant out of the backfield. And now you might have mismatches in a couple spots. So I do think you're going to see a lot of Felton and Johnson, maybe more so than you ever saw Hunt and, and, uh, and Chubb just because of Felton's versatility. I do think is going to be a big game for him because you're right. Who, especially if you're without Odell, who, who are those plays going to? Who's going to run that? 
Anthony Schwartz has proven that that's really, he's not there yet on, on jet sweeps. I think he had one in week one, he got a first down on, um, he's still trying to figure out how to best use his speed in the NFL. Um, Demetric Felton seems to have a good understanding of, of, of how to make people miss already. Uh, so I do think whether it's carries, uh, targets, whatever, um, I, I do think he gets at least eight. I like that one. I'm going under, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how the Browns are going to approach this running back position. And I think the assumption that Demetric Felton is the number two running back might not be completely true. I think your number one is Dearness Johnson. I think your number two could be John Kelly and Demetric Felton could kind of stay in that gadget role. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I, I try to figure out what teams are telling us with playing time about guys. So Demetric Felton played through, obviously had that game against Houston, had that electric play, played uh, three offensive snaps, played 11 against Chicago, six against Minnesota, three against the chargers. And he played 12 against Arizona when the Browns didn't have Nick Chubb available and Odell Beckham got hurt and missed time in that game. So I'm trying to figure out if the Browns believe Felton is ready for a really big workload yet. And what they're telling us to this point, and maybe that changes on Thursday night is maybe he's not quite ready for a workload that's big enough to get him eight touches outside of the return game. So I'm going to go under and he might he might get four to five. It wouldn't surprise me, but I don't know if he's going to get eight touches. I do think that's smart and that's very reasonable. And I do think you're right to read the snaps is that that means something. I also think, I think a lot of times in football coaches can adhere to guys, not picking up the finer details of things. And does he, does he run all those routes the right way? And does he, does he block the way he needs to when he's on the field and that kind of stuff? And then when it's like, oh, we don't have any good players. It's like, well, I don't care if he doesn't know what he's doing. He's fast, right? That I think they could be like, well, ideally we wouldn't do this and that they're limiting him because he's learning and he's trying to figure out his role. But if it's just like, well, we're just going to throw you a swing pass. And when you catch it, then run as fast as you can and make people miss you. But I do think you're right. That would be a, a strong reason of why the under might be playing. The, the other Wait, so part you think of John Kelly's going to get more snaps than Felton? Is that what you're saying? He might. Yeah. yeah I That's think scary. I mean, Kevin Stefanski said he's a Kevin Stefanski's answer on Tuesday indicated that they seem to view him as the number two running back. Now that's kind of reading between the lines, but that, that's sort of how I viewed the way he answered that question about Felton and, and Kelly um, on Tuesday. But I'll say this here, here's where Doug, you could be right. Because I think in a game like this, where you don't have either of your running backs, if Jarvis Landry is active, he kind of becomes your running game. Not that they're going to hand the ball off to him, but he be, that, that short, quick stuff kind of becomes your running game. And maybe that's where Demetric Felton, if he's in that Jarvis Landry role, if Landry doesn't go, maybe that, that, that short, quick stuff to Felton becomes your running game. Wait, Felton and Jarvis Johnson both had 12 snaps against the Cardinals. Uh, so Johnson would have been your number two running back there. I don't know. I, I don't think anything's going to go according to norm as far as how the Browns run the ball or how this offense perform or just puts plays together, the types of plays they put together based on who they have in the backfield. I don't, it's just not going to work. 
that's why I think Felton gets more Nate touches because it's not going to be nothing that happens in this game. I don't think it's going to be based on what we've seen before. I think it's going to be emergency mode. Let's make it happen. Let's figure out a way to win. And that could mean doing things differently than, than we have, or, or leaning into, you know, having all these tight ends on the field, leaning into getting the ball to Felton and hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think you're going to see, uh, you know, some reverses and some jet sweeps and that they're going to, they're, they're going to run the game, you know, get the running game accomplished, uh, as you guys mentioned, in different ways. So I, I think you will see some of those things go on too. And obviously uh, that will be dictated in part by which receivers you have available to you and, and which that you don't. I mean, it's so hard to predict any of these things uh, when we don't know, but uh, but I do think that you'll see some of those things um, to try to, to, to catch the Broncos off guard. And, and I'll be honest, I can't remember the last time I've seen Demetrius Felton with the running backs. Yeah, no, I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be like a running back. I just think yeah. the point, I don't think he stops being a gadget guy. It's just, I think they go from like three gadget plays a game to like 37 gadget plays a game on Thursday night. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Dan, oh, go ahead, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think that uh, that John Kelly is going to sneak up on some people in this football game. I think he's going to be the surprise little running back. And it doesn't mean I think he's going to get 15 carries, but I think he's going to get a nice little handful of work uh, in the backfield. And, you know, maybe it's five carries, maybe it's six, but, but I think he's going to get some touches. You know, the guy we're, the guy we're not talking about that we really should be. Do I, do I even have to say his name? Johnny Stanton. <laughs> Just give the ball to Johnny Stanton. There you go. He can do everything with it. Problem solved. Let him play quarterback. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Wildcat with the fullback. Yeah. <laughs> Mine, <clears throat> my prediction or my, uh, what do you think will happen is a battle of the Aggies, Miles Garrett and Vaughn Miller, uh, two very high pass rushers, high draft pick pass rushers from Texas A&M. Miles Garrett will outsack Vaughn Miller on Thursday night. What do you guys think? Now, the last time, the last time Miles Garrett went against, uh, the last time I threw something like this out there, Miles Garrett was going against Khalil Mack at a players only meeting before the game and had four and a half sacks. So players only meeting before this game, he's going against another elite pass rusher. It's prime time. So Miles Garrett outsacks Vaughn Miller in this game. Not to belittle your prediction, but I'm not sure that Miles Garrett outsacks any human <laughs> on the planet is any kind of great prediction. No, it's I think not. I would <laughs> say it's a bold prediction. I would take Miles Garrett over anyone <laughs> right now, so I'll buy that. Uh, you know what? I'm going to buy it. You know, and, and it's not because of uh, you know that he's so much better than anyone. Because if you take away the Justin Fields game, uh, he he hasn't been. Uh, sacking it up all over the place, right? I mean, he he gets us, you know, he's having a sack a game pretty much here or there. It's not, he's not dominating, uh, you know, if you take out the, not that you should take out the four and a half sacks, but I mean, that comes with a bit of an asterisk there. I think we can all agree uh, that that was an anomaly. But, um, but he does have a sack in all but two games. Actually, all but one game. Yeah. Right. He, he does. And so he, he's doing a nice job, but it's not like he's, you know, tearing it up and stripping and getting AFC, you know, AFC defensive player of the week. He's having, he's having a really good solid season. He's going to set the Browns 
sack record. And he, who knows, maybe he'll even set the NFL record. That is possible. That's out there for him. Um, But, uh, you know, Vaughn comes into this game vowing to kill the guy in front of him. So he has, um, you know, he's called his shot. He's, he's put the, uh, the bullseye on his back. And so he's got some pressure. But, I, but the reason why I'm saying yes on Miles is because he is going against a quarterback with a foot injury who I think is going to have a hard time uh, moving around and getting out of the way. And I, so I think that, and I think Case is going to get rid of the ball very quickly. The game is going to be very slow for Case Keenum. And he's going to be able to, to release that ball quickly, even if he does, even if he's got Blake Hansen, James Hudson. And I think he's going to at least have one of his tackles back. Uh, so I don't think he's going to be all that easy to sack. So I'm going to say Miles will out sack his fellow Aggie. Yeah, I think this is an easy one to go with Miles. Um... Bridgewater has been under pressure almost 30 more times than Baker has this season. Bridgewater has actually caused his own pressures more than Baker has this season. He's got 12 of them. Baker's got eight. Uh, And again, that's with Baker's issues at tackle and just, you know, his issues of holding the ball and trying to make something happen. So I think, I do think, and I'm beyond all that, I'm probably going to take Miles Garrett on this kind of, bed all day every day so yeah i'll go with garrett uh out sacking von miller this is also a uh, but this is a tackle question as, as mary said it depends who the tackles are for the browns you know jj watt was walking up the field last week and they showed him on the tv broadcast he was like you can't block me it's like dude you beat james <laughs> hudson he's their fifth tackle literally like lots of people could have blocked you just not the browns fifth tackle on that one play so if it's Vaughn Miller versus James Hudson all night, then I might take Vaughn Miller. So if they get at least one of the tackles back, that'd be a big deal for the Browns. Okay, there we go. Uh, I, I do want to. I do want to just. I mean, Miles Garrett is. He's got thirty-five pressures. That's tied for second in the league. Uh, I I think he's having a really impactful season. I know he hasn't made the you know the huge strip sack plays, but I, I mean, look, we talked about how big of a deal it was the Chandler Jones wasn't playing last week and he hasn't had a sack since week one. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think, I think he's been good and he had like one super crazy standout game for all the reasons that we know, but um, I feel like he's affected the game on a regular basis. Okay. Does anybody else have a really good second one here? We've been going for a while, but if somebody has a really good second, yeah, one, I got a, Oh, you go. Scott. Like, Eric and Scott, looks like you each have one. Do you want me to go? Yeah, go ahead, Scott. All right. So this is who this has to do with a revenge game. Who is this a bigger revenge game for? Case Keenum or Joe Woods? <laughs> Joe Woods was a defensive coordinator for two seasons with the Broncos. And when they got rid of Vance Joseph, Woods was, quote, allowed to pursue other opportunities. That led him to the Niners. Obviously, he wasn't going to return to the Broncos. Keenum signed with the free agent after his big dream season with the Vikings, went six and ten with the Broncos, then was traded to Washington for a sixth round pick and the Broncos had to throw in a seventh rounder in that deal too. So case Keenum apparently was not good enough for a sixth round pick by himself. He had to, he had to come along with a seventh rounder. So looking at how they both left Denver, who's this a bigger revenge game for? I'm going to say Joe Woods because I think Joe Woods and his unit 
maybe have to win this game for the Browns. Like they've got, they've got to be, I think if the Browns win this game, we're going to come away, whether it's because Denver's just not very good or because the defense was awesome or a combination of the two. If the Browns win this game, we're going to come away feeling better about this defense. So I'm going to say Joe Woods just because he's facing a little more pressure. And I think it's kind of on him to, to win this game. I think I'm going to go with Case Keenum here uh, because Case has waited so long for this opportunity. This means so much to him. He felt uh, like, you know, he, he feels like he is a starting quarterback in the NFL. So I think he's got a lot to prove. And this is an opportunity for him on national television to show that he, that he still has it. I mean, the last time he was a starter, he went one and seven in Washington. Uh, And I think this is his way of saying, here's what I can do when I'm on a good football team with a good offensive coordinator in a scheme that fits me. And don't forget about me because I still have some value. And I think, Again, on national television, he's going to go out there and, and try to prove that, that he still has it. And it's a, it's a big chance for him. It's unfortunate for Case Keenum that he feels that way, and nobody in the NFL does besides him. That, uh, <laughs> that nobody else thinks he's a starting quarterback. He's a perfect backup quarterback at this stage mm-hmm. in his career. He is ideal for this. I also think we're overlooking the fact that Jarvis Landry once had a layover in the Denver airport and might want to show something against the Broncos in this. I'm out on revenge topics. Guys move around all over the place. I get it. I used to work for another media outlet. If we played them in softball, I don't know. I guess I'd want to win. But um, but I do think the defense has to win this game for the Browns. That's on – I mean, I do think – and I, I expect them to. They have to. They have to not make the mistakes they made last week. This is it. This is why you rebuilt this whole defense so that you weren't a lopsided team. The offense is wounded. The defense, other than JOK, is kind of all there. So do it. So Joe Woods and his guys, called, I mean, Miles Garrett called the meeting. This is it. This is why they spent this money, to win this game with a bunch of offensive backups. It is 100%. We're trying to figure out if Demetric Felton or Harrison Bryant is more likely to win the game for the offense. What are we talking about? The defense <laughs> must win this game for the Browns. So it's all about Joe Woods and the 11 guys on the field. They have to rise to the challenge or people will be like reasonably disappointed and asking for more because this is why they're here. They have the talent. Quit blowing your assignments and go win a game. To be fair with the the Case Keenum revenge angle, the Broncos did choose the corpse of Joe Flacco over Case Keenum. So I'm sure you would like to just remind them of that. Yeah. I mean, I think from just pure revenge, I'd go with Case Keenum, but I do agree that Woods has a lot more riding on this game than anybody. He needs to get his defense back in order and it doesn't really matter who they're playing so much. And I mean, he, he was gone largely because the guy he worked for was gone. So Case Keenum, the revenge is all on him. <laughs> Mary Kay, what's your, uh, what's your second one? You know, my second one is, Uh, You know, we've been talking a little bit about John Johnson three and wondering when he's going to kind of just show out a little bit and and have a a better game, make some impact plays. Uh, And so this is going to be about John Johnson three. He did get that interception last week, although it was out of bounds. So it wouldn't even have been an interception. It was out of bounds. Um, But 
this week, I think he's going to get an actual interception off of Teddy Bridgewater, if Teddy plays. And I think it's going to be one of two interceptions that the Cleveland Browns get in this game. Will it be, will, they, will either one of them be on plays where Ronnie Harrison forgot to cover his guy and John Johnson has to run back there and pick up the ball? <laughs> Very well wow. could be. Ronnie Harrison catching strays on our preview podcast. I'm just saying. He's had a rough uh, beginning of the year. Teddy That's Bridgewater, by the way, Teddy Bridgewater has thrown four interceptions in the last two games, including three last week against the Raiders. Hmm. Right. And so he's got saying, a bad foot. Yep. I mean, if Drew Locke plays, this is a gimme, but I might take this. I, I do feel like, you know, this is, people always love this logic. I do just feel like the Browns are due, like, to just mm-hmm. have a game where they force a couple turnovers. It's, yeah. I mean, it's got to happen at some point. Just the law of averages or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, why not? It is, it is very – JOK is like the defensive playmaker on this team, right, other than Miles. And, like, he's a guy – that play last week where he jumped in the air and deflected the pass, looked like mm-hmm. he was 20 feet in the air. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a guy make a play. I don't think I've ever seen someone on an NFL field jump that high that wasn't jumping to catch a pass. I mean, he is an incredible football player. Mm-hmm. And his loss is huge. And he's the kind of guy that he gets his hand on a ball, that he – comes up to make a tackle on a swing pass and punches a ball out. He makes things happen. So if he was playing, I'd like this pick even more Mary Kay, but I also do think they're going to be in do your job mode, which is what they need to be in. They don't have to get two interceptions to win this game. Just do your freaking job and everything will be okay. So I'm curious to see how they approach that. But if you get a cup, you get a little miles pressure, right? You get Denzel makes a play on the ball. I did think Mary Kay, even though, that John Johnson pick, right? There was a, a Denzel Ward pass interference penalty on the play, and John Johnson landed out of bounds. Just to see John Johnson like roaming from the middle of the field to the sideline, breaking mm-hmm. on the ball, making a play on the ball, like that's how it's supposed to work. And he's talked a lot about how he's kind of in a different position. He's not in the box as much. He's still getting used to that. I thought just his actions on that play were encouraging, like, oh, that looked right even though it didn't result in a pick. So, so I'll buy this. Okay. I think Grant Delpit could, he can't fill the JOK role, but he gives you a little bit of athleticism. He only played nine snaps on Sunday, which, which again, sometimes you look at that playing time and it tells you something, um, you know, maybe they don't aren't ready to give Grant Delpit a huge workload yet, but at least his athleticism, he's not JOK. Maybe he can give you a little something as, as a third safety. Um, you know, I mean, you mentioned Ronnie Harrison, Scott, but Delpit was, was a guy too, that got lost against the chargers. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the guys that got juked against by Deandre Hopkins, but, but maybe this will be an opportunity for him as sort of a hybrid guy to step in for a few more snaps and and at least try to make an aggressive play. Doug has a, Doug has a plan for that. Oh yeah. What do you do without JOK? My plan on got to watch the tape was that John, John Johnson, the third is your JOK replacement. You get him up in the box more, you play three safeties. Basically they played their starters all last week 
and they played two linebackers, three corners and two safeties the whole game. And John Johnson, the third and Ronnie Harrison barely came off the field. So like, I, I don't know. I think it was just maybe their scheme choice to not put a third safety out there very much. But to me, if you're trying to find playmakers and trying to fit stuff together where their linebackers are right now, I'd rather try to fill some of the JOK snaps with the third safety more often than just just being like, well, who's the next linebacker up? Because I don't think that's going to give you the playmaking in space that you could you could get if you put Delpit Johnson and Harrison out there together more often. You know what, Doug? I really like uh, the way that you're thinking on that, and I've thought about that as well. My only issue with that in a short week is that I think it would be hard to change that up schematically uh, when you only have like one full practice to do it. Uh, the thinking is sound and, and very wise. And, and I keep thinking that you've got to do something to change it up for John Johnson, the three for John Johnson, three, but I don't know that you can do it uh, in, in a, such a short week. I think it's almost like, okay, plug in the next weak side linebacker and let's go. However, they have 10 days after this, they have a mini buy and they're going to need to dig into the defense during the mini buy because they can't wait till week 13 to change things up and tweak things and get guys in the right roles and in the right places and fix the communication. So although what you're saying, I think, I mean, it should be done. Don't know they're going to be able to, that they'll be able to pull it off this week. Yeah. The, the is JJ three in the correct role discussion is a legitimate one, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, and how much of that stems from the fact that your other two safeties are, are Ronnie Harrison and Grant Delpit, mm -hmm. um, who probably also excel in that, in the box role where you'd like to see a little more of, of John Johnson. So that, that, that's a, that's a, um, a legitimate discussion. Scott, did you weigh in on this one yet? Uh, was it two, two picks for two picks yeah. for, two picks. for the team? Sure. I'll go with, I think they're due. <laughs> that'll be my, uh, that'll be my logic here That's... because yeah, I think yeah, this could be one of those games where just everything just goes right defensively and, and it's a low scoring game, but the defense is like, just gives the offense enough time to get it done. I mean, it makes kind of sense. And, and I, Teddy Bridgewater is really good under pressure. At least he's been really good this season. Um, so it might be difficult to actually sack him, but getting pressure and you get it enough. Maybe this is the game where some of that, you know, some of some of his throws just aren't as good as they were. They're due. <laughs> See, I they like it. I like it. <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's make our picks. Uh, by the way, this line has been dropping um, pretty much since <laughs> since Case Keenum was named the starter. Uh, it's down. I mean, it was at like two earlier. I was working on my predictions post for tomorrow earlier and it, it had dropped to like two or two and a half. And now as I'm looking at it live on, on FanDuel, it's down to Browns by one and a half. So we'll go with that as we record this on Wednesday night, Browns minus one and a half, the total in this game, 41 and a half points. This is where I point out that so far six and oh, picking Browns games, not against the spread, but just, just six and oh straight up the year that we aren't putting these in print that's okay <laughs> go ahead and put it in print dan write a, write yeah. a column and tell everybody uh, that you only, only put the correct ones in print yes <laughs> <laughs> all right who wants to go first i'll take the browns like 23 20 like a low scoring game the offense functions the with the robot leading the way they make enough plays defensively they don't have huge huge breakdowns like they did last week 
They don't play Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes. And everything just looks a little better, but the defense has to win it. Maybe even 20 is too much for the defense to give up, but that's right around the number, right around the over under 23, 20 Browns. Yeah. The, the, the three teams that the, uh, that the Broncos have beat all have one win right now. They're not a scary team, even though they've, uh, <clears throat> even though they have the same record as, as the Browns. I think, I don't even, I I'm thinking like, 1310 Browns. I just, I think it's going to be ridiculously low scoring and the offense is going to take, it's going to struggle. It's just, you can't expect an entirely, almost entirely different group of at least half the starting offense being different actually, and them to go out there and just kind of roll no matter who they're playing. And especially against a Broncos team that's not bad on defense. So, uh, I think the Browns defensively will do well, but I think the offense is going to just, just do enough. So I'll go 13, 10. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm taking the Browns partially for the reason you mentioned, Scott, the Broncos haven't beaten anyone. They don't do anything particularly well. You know, they're banged up too. They're missing some key guys like Bradley Chubb, Jerry Judy. And by the way, they've got to play a short week, just like the Browns, but they've got to travel. And that makes a difference that that is a built-in advantage for the Browns that they get to play this game at home. Um, and the Browns have, for as much as we kind of gnash our teeth at three and three and, and Sunday was really ugly. The Browns three losses have come to three teams that no one would be surprised to see in LA in February. So I, I, I like the Browns. I, I'm not worried about the Broncos. I think they're going to do enough to maybe not make you feel great, but at least kind of make you take a deep breath as you head into those 10 days between this game and, and the Pittsburgh game. So I'll take the Browns. Let's go. Let's, let's pick a weird one. Let's go 19 to 15. Mm. That's good. And weird. There's no, there's safe, no logic. Safety there's no there. logic behind that. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to go over on the points. Cause I think there's going to be some, just a few, you know, some garbage touchdowns on both sides. There's just some weird <laughs> things are going to happen somehow, some way, a return, uh, something. Uh, so I think there, I think, I'm going to take over on the points. I'm going to take the Browns to win this game because um, I'm not impressed with the Broncos. I'm not impressed with who they beat. They're coming off of, they're on a three game losing streak. The only way that they're going to pull this off is if their defense goes out and backs up Von Miller on the stuff that he said, sort of in the same way that Miles Garrett's defense backed him up and just went, lights out against the bears. Um, you know, they do have some really good defensive players. They do have still, even though they have some injuries, they still have some, some pretty darn good defensive players. And if, if the Browns are, have the skeleton crew and the receivers are out and the tackles are out and blah, 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 uh, the, the, the Broncos defense, they might actually have to score themselves, uh, but they could pull it off. Uh, but I'm just not impressed with, with Teddy Bridgewater and he's going to be hobbling around on a foot injury. I think he's beaten down by four turnovers last week. I think he's going to be deer in the headlights. And uh, so I think the Browns defense is going to be able to come up big. All right. hey, real quick, Dan, uh, 1915. If I, if I search this correctly, I'm going to take a guess on how, how many times that score has happened in the NFL. Did I, did I pick a score Gami? Four times, ah. four times, the most recent 1990. Happened twice right. in the 70s. And the Browns beat Washington 1952, 1915. Wow. Just like turnovers, they're due. 
<laughs> it was it was actually it no it was well, it was October 26th so maybe maybe this is right maybe it's like maybe everything just lined up you know you guys should see the gleeful look on Scott's face that he's <laughs> looked up this weird score this is the kind of stuff that makes people hate analytics I'm they just, just think it's all oh, these random stats um so I would advise that's a clean sweep for the four of us I would advise everyone to tune in to the post game podcast where we will discuss how this Browns victory is tearing the team apart. Scott Pasco. <laughs> it's going to By happen. the way, it's, it's, it's going to be like one in the morning. So it's going to, it's going to get real yeah. and on that post-game podcast. Okay. That'll mm-hmm. do it for our, our preview edition here of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Like I said, uh, earlier this week, our schedule is going to be uh, a little wonky. We'll come back with the post-game pod podcast that will be up for you on Friday. And then our next pod after that actually won't be till Tuesday. We'll do it. We'll be back with a Hey Mary Kay as we kind of get back on our regular schedule. So uh, make sure you're subscribed and then you don't have to worry about all this weird stuff. It's just going to show up on your phone whenever we hit publish. And of course, make sure you're a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Brown's blue banner at the top. Mary Kay, Doug and Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.